Welcome, everyone, to a brand new episode of Getting to the Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. This is on MTR Podcasts. And today, my guest is painter, bartender, cook, Adam Estes. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, so I, I was researching, actually, before uh, before I you know picked up the Zoom, hit the button, and all of that stuff. So, Chef cook is, is there a difference between those two uh i don't know i feel like one is a title that i feel like one's a, one's definitely i mean they're both titles for sure i think calling somebody a, a chef um i think maybe denotes some kind of like mastery or uh i'm mean, greater understanding kind of in my mind i guess uh i don't know i mean that's that's what i think when i hear of chef i hear of somebody who uh, who's probably gonna have like you know lots of information and, and know a lot about, I mean, not everything, but you know, they're going to, they're going to be accomplished in whatever it is that they're doing, whatever type of food they're making or, you know, whatever they're specializing in, I guess. I dig it. Yeah. It's like, like discipline oriented. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's how I kind of think about it, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I, I kind of want very high level based off the bio that you provided <laughs> of um, what, what your, what your background is. But um, I think it, I would be remiss if I don't let the the guests actually describe what their work is. So describe your work. Uh, for as far as the paintings go, um, your paintings, your creative interest, the whole gamut, run, run the board. Uh, sure. uh, I mean, I think my biggest two creative outlets, probably food and, and painting. Um, and I like to do different kinds of stuff too. Sometimes collage work and, uh, incorporated into the paintings uh i guess i guess with my paintings i i i think sometimes uh i'm trying to make not always but sometimes i'm trying to make work that maybe will make somebody kind of feel something or i feel like that's kind of the most important thing i remember i got into i was sitting in a friend of mine's house one day uh this guy uh jason who's a really great artist as well um he uh and he has this painting sitting there and i was looking and i was like this painting really makes you feel something i was talking about how much i like the painting he had and then I went off on some tangent about how I went to some show at uh, at the Hirschhorn and I saw like some light bulbs and a cinder block. And I like the Hirschhorn as a museum, but this show was like early, like Italian, like artwork, I think in like 1950s or forties, I guess. And, uh, and I don't know, it was like literally light bulbs and cinder blocks. And I was like, it made me so angry. I like, that's not art. And I was, I was ranting about it. And then Jason stopped me and he was, his name is Jason Hoyleman. He used to be a bartender at, and he used to coordinate the shows at the windup when it was there. But uh, he stopped me and he's like, but you know, it made you feel something and elicited an emotional response. So in effect, it did actually do something. It did its job. So it, it then becomes art and that, you know, kind of infuriated me, but he, I thought he was kind of right in that statement. So you can have things that you intend people to kind of feel, I guess, out of artwork. Um, but sometimes things just people just feel things because they they vibe with a certain piece, I guess. So I guess I try to I try to make stuff that people can connect with, but also stuff that I feel. Uh, I don't know. It's hard to hard to really talk about. No, <laughs> no, no, no. That 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 helps. Is I I kind of struggle with that um, that idea of like like. I had a conversation earlier with, um, with, with someone who's, a, it, it could be a person that can help me move, move some things along. And we were just, you know, discussing what art was. And I was trying my damnedest not to feel like an imposter because, uh, he was saying, Oh, podcasts are art. And I was like, I don't know. And he's like, do you feel something when you're doing it? And what's your purpose in it? And how, what's your approach to it? And he's breaking down all these things. And he's a person that's an art critic. 
And I'm like, okay, maybe you know more about this than me. Maybe I'm selling myself short. And but the, the key thing of, of having the emotional res- response being a component of it is, is something, um, it's something that's just there. I think that's an integral part of it. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. I mean, I think that anything that anyone does very well becomes art, whether it's mathematics or science or, you know, painting or cooking food. If you do something uh, enough and you put enough time and effort into it, you're, you, uh, you know, you're going to, if you're able to elicit emotions from people and you're able, and you really put your time and effort into it and you, you really kind of hone in whatever you're doing, I think that becomes art, you know, even engineering or everyone thinks of it as like painting or drawing, but I think it's anything really. It, it, it feels, that feels very, what you described, I agree with. It feels very Eastern. It felt, it feels very like, you know, I'll watch anime and it's like, Oh, this is your jutsu what have you. And it's like, this is your skill. This is the thing you're putting your time and yeah. your energy toward or what have you. And you're, you're, you're aiming to master. Um, so w- w- speak on a, a bit on your, well, unless you have more to say on that, but speak a bit on your, your training um, and where have you kind of picked up some of your, your different skills, whether it be in cooking, whether it be in bartending or whether it be in your, your visual art. Uh, I think that actually most of my stuff kind of comes from, uh, honestly, my parents, um, both my parents were, uh, well, my mother got a degree in art and went on to do graphic design and she's a really amazing artist. She does, she can do like photorealistic, uh, reproductions of stuff, uh, or she used to, she doesn't really do it that much anymore. There's a lot more quilting now, really beautiful quilts though. And, uh, my father was also an artist, but then switched his major to mathematics. Cause he was like, I'm not going to make any money in, in, the, in art. And I got to like, you know, I got a family and stuff I gotta, I gotta deal with. So he became a mathematician. And I think that their love of artwork, I mean, they had tons of books about art and tons of books about food. If you went into the kitchen, <laughs> There were all these books about food. Um, we're originally from New Orleans. My mother had all these New Orleans cookbooks, and they make cookbooks there. I don't really see them a lot up here, but maybe I don't look for them. But you could just get a cookbook for anything. Like there, there are there's people make cookbooks for anything out there. They'll have and they'll all be like little plastic bound. I think it, maybe it happens all over the South. I'm not sure. But all these little plastic bound like community kind of like cookbooks and like yeah. small one off books. And so looking through all that really inspired my cooking i think that and like watching like pbs like cooking shows like yan can cook and like justin wilson are two people that really stick out in my mind so that and combined with my mother's cooking um like when i was a kid you know i remember having to stir the roux to make you know hot roasty po'boys or or if she was making like gumbo or something like she'd have me stir the roux which i thought was a, a real hassle at the time when i was like a kid but then you learn and then later on when i was in a restaurant and they were like quizzing us on our knowledge somebody said that and i was like oh shit i know that (laughs) (laughs) you know yeah that um you know like i so on uh on friday pre-covid i i would go to uh, i would do my podcast at um the uh what is it the baltimore improv group i I would do it there and then me and my co-host would head down there we usually go to web city and we had a running bit that web city was just a sex joke that was the running bit about it (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) so we went down and I I remember seeing you a few times. I was like, I feel like this dude's an artist. I don't know how to talk to this dude. So let me just figure it out. And then I happened to see, um, I think one of your posts and it was something about this cookbook that was in New Orleans. And that's my second favorite place to Baltimore. I usually go there for my birthday in January. So I was like, all right, I need to be friends with this guy in some way. I'm (laughs) I'm sitting there and telling my girlfriend that she was just like, what guy? I was like, the guy with the beard. And, um, 
and I'm looking like a crazy person. And then I'm just kind of looking at the the menu thing and seeing that um, you've moved into having more of a um, a bigger role in the kitchen and kind of taking over a lot of that stuff, right? That's going on in the kitchen there. Could could you speak on on that a little bit on coming up the menu and how how it feels to be in that kind of role since um, COVID's gone on? Uh, I mean, before I was bartending. And I've always liked bartending. Um, and I've cooked before. I cooked at a little dive bar uh, very briefly over in Station North. It didn't last very long. It was literally like right on the, right right above North Avenue on Maryland Avenue. I think there's another restaurant there now. Uh, it's right across from like the Save Lot over there. But I, I ran a little like dive bar there, and I worked a little bit in um, at the Crown. My buddy Aaron Estes started uh, was the guy who started the cooking at the Crown, and he hired me on there to to cook there for a little bit. Um, I guess I've done that kind of stuff before and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm decent at it. I did some training also, uh, when I was working, I worked for, uh, the Foreman Wolf group for a while. I worked at Petit Louis and, uh, okay. they have great, great food and, and, uh, and you know, their, their training practices really, that's another thing I have to say. I, I can't, uh, I can't ignore that is that that working there and their level of making you have to like know every step of food production from the, um, from like what everything the chef's putting into the thing really kind of like you get so ingrained into you after working there long enough that it winds up being a skill in and of itself. Like you just kind of soak it up. And I remember when I wasn't working there thinking I really wanted to have, you know, a uh, la panel moutard, which is like a braised rabbit dish. Uh, mm-hmm. that's a uh, French braised rabbit dish. And then I was sitting in my room, like thinking about it. And I was like, wait a minute, I can make this dish. I know everything that goes into it. So I think that all that stuff kind of set me up. Um, I guess kind of not intentionally for like what I guess I'm doing now, which is kind of coming up with more, taking more of an active role, I guess, and, uh, and making different kinds of specials and, and trying to to do fun stuff. I think that's like fun and enjoyable to eat. That kind of fits that, like that, like bar food, like, you know, I'm trying to, I want to eat a chili burger. I want to, I want to eat like a cheese, like a really good cheesesteak, like not some, some bullshit cheesesteak, like a really good cheesesteak, you know, like I would, that's, I want to eat. I guess I make stuff that I really want to eat and I don't, I don't want to make it all the time for myself because if I eat like that, I would like, I, it would be too much, you know? So I do it. You can do it at a place like that where you're like, you make these delicious things and then you're like, here it is. I can have a little bit of it. And then I can just share it with other people also. Um, and so I think that that's, I always like, even before I was, I was like, even, even before I was even in the situation I'm in now with wet city, um, and cooking there, uh, I used to have like dinner parties at my house and invite people over and make jerk chicken, make like Swedish meatballs because a lot of these things are kind of things that I don't have like a big family. I mean, my family lives here, but they're not, they live far away. I have a bike. I don't really go out to not far away. They live out in Columbia, but um, you know, they, I don't get a chance to get out there very often because I have a bike and I don't really have a car in the city. Yeah. And so, you know, you want to have these gatherings with people and eat food and, and they have fun and laugh and, you know, do stuff like that. So I used to do that kind of stuff. Um, and I haven't, it's been a bummer, honestly, with COVID because you can't really do that. So I can't see these close friends of mine and we can't like sit down and have food and and have some drinks and hang out in the backyard and, you know, just have a great time. But, you know, I feel like cooking in the restaurant functions that way a little bit. You know, people can come and get the food and take it home and hopefully they they enjoy it, you know. Yeah. Like I said, you know, a lot of the stuff that I've seen come out of like, this is the menu. This is the menu for this weekend. I'm like why aren't we here yet why aren't we there and uh it's you know it's, it's almost like Tourette's a little bit how it just pops up in my head and i'll just say i need to go here i need to go to web city it's like why 
but uh yeah it's like you're you know you're you're definitely keying in on what you're doing is it's not it's, it's not just it's not just like like extra if that's the only way i can really put it it's it's just like yeah. i i can relate to this food i dig what this stuff is and i think the key thing that you you said and i, I have a very similar approach when, when i cook and I've been called a little bit of a snob when I'm cooking, but because <laughs> I'm like, ah, mm, crab cakes are done this way. And it's just like, this is how these things are done. And this is mm-hmm. how I prefer it. And listening to what you're saying, of you don't want a bullshit cheesecake. You, if you're going to do it, do, do it right and do it with high quality stuff and do it with a certain technique that just makes sense. I dig that. Yeah, you got to come correct for sure. My, uh, the funny thing is my grandmother... My grand, when I last was in New Orleans was last October, and my grandmother and we were talking about food and and uh, talking about ingredients and stuff. And uh, she just kind of chimed in, and she was in the back seat of the car, and she was like, "Well, you know what? She's like, these things you can make them whatever you want. There's no specific like like there. Certainly, there are things that you think about when you think about like, uh, or when I think about gumbo, or when somebody else may think about gumbo, they may think about a different thing. But there are certain things that I think about." Like, you know, certain vegetables you would put in it, certain mm-hmm. ways to build the thing. But then there's a lot of leeway in all those things. So there's a certain level. And I get, I get, you're saying you feel like snobbish sometimes about food. I feel the same way sometimes. Probably like, no, it's supposed to be this way. But then when you really break it down, it's like the, the progression of food. And you wouldn't even have food like in the style of New Orleans were it not for people taking all these different ideas and then mm-hmm. blending them all together. And then there, you know, there wasn't a set thing. There was like this food and this food and this person did this and this person did this. And the next thing you know, you have this amazing food. Um, and that's, you know, that's kind of the thing I love about the food down there is all that, all that mix of like cultural food and like people making different things and it all kind of coming together to be this really uh, like beautiful representation, I think of, uh, of all the people who've, who've you know, put their hands in that. To, to be to be pretentious and hokey it, it's it's jazz to me like you know it's, sure. <laughs> it's like this is a standard that has these foundations and what have you but everybody's got a got a hand in it to kind of drive it in a certain direction but, yeah absolutely. you know I, I feel like also i should potentially do a podcast on my um long extended rants on uh shrimp and grits i get really tight about <laughs> different interpretations like look where's what's your perfect what's your perfect interpretation of shrimp and grits though um, I, it like, it has to have sausage in there. Like, okay. it's been a lot that I've had up here. Um, and I don't try to sound too pretentious about it or, or too snobbish about it, but it's just, oh, we're omitting the sausage. It's like, why? Just yeah. why, why are you not having the sausage in there? Or why are you not having any pork in it? It's just literally shrimp and grits. It's like, not a lot of work was done here. And um, and I try not to try not to seal my disappointment, but when you have it at a place like um, most most recently, I um, I had it at the um, the Charleston, and I was like on an anniversary dinner and all of this stuff, mm-hmm. and I, I told my girlfriend I was like, if I wasn't in front of polite company, I would have been licking this bowl, but I had to oh stop. yeah, it, it yeah. was that good. <laughs> you were you were at Charleston downtown? Yes, Harper East. Yeah, Chef Wolf's food is amazing. Yeah. Her food's fantastic. Like I had the opportunity to briefly work there in the back of the house uh, on the cold side when they were they were training me there briefly. It was uh, during um, during some other training I was doing there, but I got to work back there in the kitchen for about three months with some really really wonderful people, and I got to make salads and stuff and rabbit canals, and it was an experiment. It's an experience that you know uh, 
definitely influenced the, and it was a very short lived amount of time, but, you know, working for them definitely did a lot of things, definitely changed a lot of things for me in my life as far as like how I perceive like food now. And certainly they're much more like high end, but like the food is, the food is definitely like delicious. I can't believe that, uh, honestly, that she hasn't won a James Beard award yet. It's like kind of crazy. Yes. <laughs> um so so let's let's shift a little bit um i want to talk a little bit more about art and then i got some baltimore questions for you and, and i've been told that the baltimore questions are the ball buster questions all right and you've been here for a while you, you know you're, this this mm-hmm. is home for you right but you're yes, you're a new orleans person you're from new orleans right so you know we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit um yeah so for you what is integral to like your work as an artist? Like when you're coming up with your visual stuff or, or, or just coming up with a concept. Cause I think that that in itself is, it's something you got to start there. So what is integral for you to like get going creatively? Uh, honestly, just putting a piece of uh, something I can write with or a marker or something in my hand. Like a lot of my artwork um, that's not the paintings that I just do on a regular basis just involves me sitting at my desk with like a Sharpie or a paint marker um, uh, and just like going off in like one of my books or something, but, um, the painting, sometimes I, sometimes I think about it. Um, but I actually find that the best way for me to create stuff a lot of times is, uh, to try to, I guess this is going to sound kind of uh, vague, I guess, but to, I, I take, you know, taking all the, inf- what is it? A friend of mine once said to me, my friend Clay's, uh, he used to live here in Baltimore, which he still lives here. He's a great Haitian painter. He lives in Philly now. Just put some murals up. But anyway, he once said something to me about um, about painting and, and artwork. He's like, you know, you always have to take like breaks when you're doing something. When, and however long that break may be, it could be a couple of days, it could be a month, you know, or years even sometimes. But you have to take a certain amount of time and space to take information in to then put information back out. So I feel like... Um, and that, that I thought was a really good way of, of putting that together. So like, you know, whether you're reading a book or whether you're like going to another art show or you're, you know, just going for a walk, I think all those things kind of play into like, I guess me making my work. Cause I don't really, I don't, I don't necessarily think of a concept ahead of time. I'll think of a shape. Sometimes I'll be like enamored with some kind of like geometric shape and I'll like put that down on a cam on a big canvas. And then I'll use that shape to then overlay other aspects of this or other things on top of this painting until it builds up. And then you don't even know that that diagram was originally there, but it reflects it because certain points, you know, it's like certain points of the painting or at certain like points in the geometric thing. It's just a, a way of building pieces. I think I just, a lot of times I just build them and that's, that's the way for me to, to, to create stuff. Cause anytime I've actually sat down and tried to really like, wrestle down this like this thing and be like this is what i'm going to draw right now yeah it's like no you're not doing that right now (laughs) (laughs) you're doing something else (laughs) yeah you're not doing that right now in fact you're just going to be really frustrated because you're not going to be able to pull that off right now so just you know you got to go with the flow (laughs) yeah i I think taking those breaks is important and and coming back and just again sounds sounds hokey but it's almost like you trust in whatever that process is but know that there is no process be water you know Mm -hmm. and I, I think like some of the stuff that I do, I dabble in a bunch of different stuff, podcasting being one thing, but, you know, doing the painting, uh, doing like kind of these smaller canvases and having, I, I, I remember when I first like got started again in painting and it was years, it may have been like decade, decade and a half. And mm-hmm. uh, when I was in like middle school, in middle school, maybe early high school, doing murals and stuff. And 
Nice. Really didn't go too much further with it, but it was like really fun. And I got in a lot of trouble because I got a lot of pain on my glasses once. And my parents were like, these cost money. So, <laughs> uh, and then like in two, like four years ago, getting back to it and kind of having this weird, you know, um, working in corporate America kind of approach to it. Your goal is to do one painting per month. And it kind of took the fun out of it, but it also kept me into trying to create, but it didn't feel like right. So it's like, I got through about maybe six months of doing that and put out some cool stuff and gave it to friends. Like some of it was like, Hey, this is like about you and I, our our relationship, our friendship or what have you. But Mm -hmm. it, it was not something that was sustainable. And you know, I have the, the remaining paintings in like my, my studio and my, uh, where I record from and it's cool, you know, and I'm like, all right, I remember what I was going through here. I, I feel something going back to that. I feel yeah. something. each one of these things. It, it reminds me. And I still have the canvases. I still have my paint and all of these different things that I might just easily just one day just get inspired and, and whip it out and, and start working on something. Yeah, I mean, I I would recommend it. I mean, you never know. I took it was seven years, I think, before I started. When I moved to Baltimore, I wasn't making any artwork, and it had been about seven years since I'd actually produced any. Since I'd even put like my a pen on a piece of paper for whatever reason, I don't really know why. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just hadn't been doing any artwork whatsoever, and I moved here, and then kind of started doodling and goofing off again, and then decided one day I was like in the art store, like buying some pens or something and i decided i was gonna like buy some oil pastels and like that that took off and there i was like i'm gonna be an artist i always wanted to be one it's gonna happen it's gonna happen (laughs) it didn't happen i mean i've had shows and stuff and i do paintings but it didn't have you know when you think about it when you're younger you're like i'm gonna be the man (laughs) (laughs) everyone's gonna love what i'm making you know (laughs) i like i got like i got my supplies funny story i got my supplies and and from that uh that art store over there on in 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 the area where wet city is at and i i used to work for um i used to work for verizon years and years and years ago and some marketing thing and that was a strike so we were um as management we were out there fixing people's phone lines being down and their security systems being down and so on so me and the person I was with were going there to restore dial tone to that art supply store. Yeah. And we were in the back futzing with the wires and trying to reestablish dial tone. They were being robbed at the time we were oh, in there. Shit. And we slithered out of the back and called the police from our oh, cell phones. Shit. It was one of the funniest things. <laughs> Holy ever. Crap. I was like, this could have went terribly. Wow. But you guys yeah. saved the day. Yeah, we, we saved the day, um, but it, it was it was like, wow. I was like, did these people case the joint to know that the um, alarm was down and everything was down? Wow. You know, but it was really uh, it's really funny. So whenever I'm in that area and I'm going to buy like like uh, paint markers or, or something along those lines, I just laugh about that every time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's crazy, man. That's crazy. Yeah, so, I like that. So I have a few um, I have a few Baltimore questions and then just one kind of weird question I may have ripped off from an Anthony Bourdain interview. But okay. um, so you, you mentioned here. So so why Baltimore? Why Baltimore for you? What is your 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 thoughts on Baltimore as a as a whole? Uh, I really like Baltimore. Um, I so I grew up and I was only lived in, the, in New Orleans because when I was like five or six. When we moved up here to Maryland. Um mm-hmm. I have a lot of family back there. We go back there to visit all the time, but uh, we lived out in the County for the longest time. And then I moved to Baltimore because I got a job working at Petit Louis yeah. and I moved to the city. I found a, I found a spot. Um, somebody told me that I should go work there cause I could make good money. Cause I'd 
just quit working UPS and I only worked a restaurant job. Before that, I've been working at UPS in like a, a managerial role, like doing supervision there. Um, so I decided to get in a restaurant. I work, was working at a restaurant part-time out there just to supplement my income uh, yeah. for me and my, my partner at the time. And then uh, when we split up, she stayed down in Ellicott City and I uh, moved to Baltimore with that job. And um, I moved here and I remember coming here when I was younger, like me and my friends one time when we were like 18 or whatever, we were coming to see a comedy show and uh we went downtown and it was like you know i just remember it being like lots of it just seemed like so much bigger than my regular life which is funny because living in baltimore you're like it's actually a pretty small city in comparison right but living out in the county like i was like holy shit this place is crazy bright lights there's all kinds of wild shit going on you could hear like club music playing somewhere (laughs) i was like this place is crazy um and then when i moved here you know uh i really kind of got to know the city more and um and I, I don't know. I think I've always kind of liked Baltimore. Um, I like the food here, although it doesn't, I think in recent years, it's gotten more, uh, like recognition, but I think there's a lot of good food in Baltimore. I think it gets eclipsed sometimes by a lot of the little, but by a lot of the carryout places that are around that aren't too great. But like, yeah. you know, uh, I feel like there's, there's a lot of really good food in Baltimore and, um, there's a lot of really good people in Baltimore and it's a nice, it's a, it's a good place. Like I, I think it's, uh, it can be, some people will think it's like rough around the edges, but I don't know. It just, it's never, it's never felt that way for me. I mean, I know that there's some, sometimes you can be in some crazy situations in Baltimore for sure. And I have had my fair share of them, but I always just, I like this city. I've never really felt like I was like, man, this city's getting me down. <laughs> I'm always like, I like being here, you know? And that's, that's what I like to hear. Like, you know, that's ultimately one of the main reasons why I wanted to do this podcast, talk to people who live here, who are doing mm-hmm. cool things here. and you know, just get in, just like normalizing and humanize it because I think too often like Baltimore is used as a dog whistle. Like, you know, it's, yeah. a, city, it's a city that, you know, is 62 or 66% black and black people are dangerous. So it, that's, that's what it sounds like to me, but maybe I'm reading too much, too far into it. You know, I'm an analyst. Uh, no, I don't think so. I think that there's <laughs> definitely like a slant like that in the media for sure. And it's definitely is used as a dog whistle and like, to people who feel like that and they're like afraid when they hear that kind of stuff. Like I would say, you know, uh, good stay out of Baltimore. Like let us stay here by ourselves and let us do our thing here. We don't need to, you know, like, like they're doing all this, they're doing a lot of development in the city and there has to be development in the city to sustain the city for sure. And, but there has to be some kind of middle ground and, you know, you see a lot of cities get wiped out and like, I don't want to see like license and market disappear. They're doing this reef, this rehab yeah. on like the market. I don't want to see it disappear. I don't want to see it change too dramatically from what it was before. I would like to see it like flourish for sure. Like it's been there forever and it's probably had heydays and I'm not saying it recently wasn't, it hadn't had a heyday, but like, you know, I, I, I want to be able to go to Lexington market and get a crab cake and like, you know, go look at like the, the, the producers. I like that you could go there and there was like, you know, there's meat, meat vendors and vegetable vendors. And it's actually like a market market. Yeah. yeah. And I, I like the new market kind of ideas they're doing, but really they feed They seem kind of like food courty less than markets, you know, yeah, that's, that's the thing. Like I, I spoke with my dad recently about it and he's in the sixties and I, I would, you know, talk about what my experience was going there, how I viewed it when I was a kid going there with him. And I'm like, yeah, you know, we'd go there we'd get like candy from this one stall. You mm-hmm. smell like the, the roasted nuts or what have you. You go in there and yeah. get all of these different things. And if that's not there, then I think that that's a huge cultural loss. And mm-hmm. it, it happens all the time. And, 
you know, in various cities. And I just don't, um, you, you want to restore, you want to maintain and to your point, kind of uh, help things flourish, but keep it for what it is. Like this is yeah. not these, these other things. And uh, I, I remark with some of my friends when, cause I don't live too far from Patterson park and they're doing a lot of, you know, development mm-hmm. stuff over here. And I, I would always joke. I was like, huh, a lot of, a lot of flip-flops in this dangerous city. And I was like, I don't think you can really run with flip-flops on. And she right. was laughing at me about it. <laughs> so, so you, you talk about going back to um, New Orleans on occasion. So I, I have to ask mm-hmm. this. Um, what, what connections do you see or parallels do you see between Baltimore and New Orleans? Uh, it's just a, a general vibe. I think it's a general vibe. I think that like the things I like about New Orleans are the same kind of things I like about here. Uh, when I first moved here, I, things I felt like were a little looser, like you could drink a beer and smoke a joint in like the park and like the cops wouldn't say anything to you. And then there was a point in time where they, they fixed, like, I remember when Charles street was like looking like a lot, Charles street, Mount Vernon looked a lot rougher than it, than it, than it does now. Yeah. Not that, not that it was rough, but it just looked like, you know, there was dilapidated buildings and stuff like that. It was right on Charles street. You could just hang out in the park and probably drink a beer and like cops wouldn't say anything to you. And I feel like now they definitely would. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, there's a reason for that. You know, you don't want people, I guess, getting drunk in the park, you know, even though sometimes I want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be more surreptitious. Um, I don't know. I, I like I, that looseness of like, you know, maybe there were some things you could get away with here and there that you wouldn't get away with somewhere else. Not that anything crazy, but just, I don't know, you could hang out, like I said, drink a beer in the park and probably not get, get any too much of a hassle. Yeah, actually, there's a lot of places in the city you can do that, but <laughs> still, but just not now Mount Vernon so much anymore. But um, covert moves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you gotta have like the paper bag or you know some kind of whatever. <laughs> at least, at but, least put on the front, you know. <laughs> yeah, pretend like you're not doing. It's like give don't don't give anybody a reason to directly walk up to you and be like, "Sir, can you please put that forty away?" You're like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um. I don't do that anymore though, but that was, that was, it was fun back when I did, but no, I think the city <laughs> has like a really, has a really good vibe. Like I remember when I was living on McCullough McMeckin street, they would have, um, they would have these, this parade It would come down every year and it was the schools, uh, their marching parade and they would come marching down, um, McCullough street. And it was amazing. Like five years straight. Like, you know, I was living there and like every year it would happen like clockwork and the kids would be out there and like doing marching and drumming and they go all the way down to the little, the little school right by where I lived. And you could just yeah. hear them. I remember the first time I heard it, I was like, Oh shit, this reminds me of like, like, like street parades in like New Orleans or like, you know, you have like, a, like little music things set up here and there uh, in New Orleans. And that kind of flavor, I think reminds me of that, like that, that, that kind of stuff that you don't really necessarily see so much in the city that I wish you could see more of um, more of those kind of competitions with like, you know, um, like the drumming and stuff like that. I, I love that kind of stuff. So that definitely makes me feel like that. And I don't know, just there's just something about the place where it's like kind of funky and fun. You know, everyone's always, always said Baltimore was kind of weird. You know, you watch like old, like uh, it's a, it's a mix. It's a mix of like, it's again, it's like a mix of different kinds of kinds of people. I think you don't see as much of it, I think, but <clears throat> I don't know. I think that's maybe why it's why it gives me that vibe. It's like it's like different scenes, and I, I joke about certain places being like portals. Like there are just different things, and you know, um, I, I think Baltimore's one thing, New Orleans one. I think 
they're they're some of the places that are just deemed as being quote unquote weird or having that mix of different cultures. I think you start mixing different things, you start unlocking different things, and it's just mm-hmm. based on the people that that are there and that are around. Um, so let's see. I have like two more questions, and then shameless plug time, and we'll wrap up and give you the rest of your evening All back. Right. Uh, so. I, I think it's important to, to ask this. I um, read this book about like how different creative writers, so on, how they get their days started. And it's it's always interesting because no one has like a set day. Some people will say, I get up at, at noon, you know, I get up, I smoke a J and have some coffee, which mm. is a real weird crossfade. Um, <laughs> but so what is your, your typical day look like? Or what is that morning? What's that start look like? What's your typical day look like? Uh... I think usually I get up and then I drink some water and take the dog out. <laughs> I don't have like a, I, I, or I feed the dog or something and I head to work. I don't, I don't think, um, sometimes I try to get myself into routines. Um, but yeah, usually I just kind of, I guess I get up and read the news. Unfortunately, when I was <laughs> like, like, t- like if you had asked me like 10 years ago uh, about reading the news, I'd be like, you know, excuse me, but, the news like i'm not trying to read the news it's a downer it's all this crazy shit that they're trying to push down your throat about you know it's just it's always just so depressing there's always some terrible shit especially now like it's yeah. a fucking nightmare but uh i guess um when uh when i think i think when uh george bush jr won a second term yeah he got a, a second term i think he got a second term right yeah second term definitely yeah i think when he got that second term after he like jacked the first term like that was kind of crazy i was like i really need to pay attention to this shit i can't keep ignoring this stuff i really got to pay attention to politics i really got to pay attention and then i started paying attention but i don't know that i feel any more empowered i just know how somebody's screwing me over i'm like cool now i know how they're screwing me over i don't know <laughs> how to make it get fixed, but maybe, you know, now at least I know what's coming before and all of a sudden it shows up at my door, but you know, I don't know. Everything's crazy. Um, so I read the news in the morning and I try to, uh, I try to take it with a grain of salt and I try to, you know, get about my day and, um, and usually I, I make, I got a little list. I make a list of things I have to get accomplished because I got to either go in and cook something or it's funny when I'm not working all the time and I have more free time, I will get up and I won't do a damn thing. I'll just hang around, you know, you know, watch some TV, goof off, do some doodling, play with the dog, sit out in the backyard. Not very eventful. But if I have lots of things to do, I find myself 10 times more productive, although I don't know that I want to be that productive. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the thing about the news, like, because like I've been podcasting since 2009, since February 2009. And uh, I do outside of this, this is like a relatively new venture, newish venture, like a year and change. And um, I, the main show that I do is a, um, it's kind of like talking about the news in an irreverent sort of way or what have you. Yeah. And it's like, I like the weird news headlines. That's, you know, it's just stroking that Aquarius button right there. It's like, yes, <laughs> more, please. It's like, Oh, more Florida people I can make fun of. This is amazing. <laughs> and, uh, and that's, and that's literally how it goes. And sometimes I have to be very, uh, very mindful and curated and one staying within like brand and niche and all of that stuff. But two, you're right. You know, going you do a deep dive and you know to the news, the news news. You're like, ah, this is. I'm gonna be sad no. at the end of the day, but you know, sometimes we'll cover like really rough stories. Like there's an episode that's coming out tomorrow, and we're um 
we we had this 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 story about this dude that he um he shot his he shot and killed his the, the mother of his child, which is a terrible terrible story. Yeah, but the the slant to it is he wore blackface and a fake beard to say a black dude did it. And I was like, this is wild. Oh my god! I was just like that. Crazy, <laughs> yes, and I was like, and so we we've been on this thing of even during COVID, the weird shit does not stop, and you know, like, or even something that's lighter. Like last week was that, that professor in, um, I think it was New Hampshire University. He's a white dude, but he was on message board saying he was a woman of color who was an immigrant. So. Oh yeah, I saw <laughs> that. That was ridiculous. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Where are these people coming from? Like, what the, what do you do with your life? Like, I, you know, like that's it's crazy as shit. You're like on message boards trying to like fuck with people like i know man like what is wrong with you like what what happened to you as a child that made you do this weird shit like it's like as a woman of color as an immigrant i stopped slept on the floor and all of this like what are you saying yeah what are you what the fuck are you doing man like what are you i don't understand that i don't understand it like where these people come from like the world it just seems like uh it gets more and more people, you know, I feel like I used to read a lot of sci-fi and fantasy novels when I was a kid. Cause they were like otherworldly and crazy. And you're like, wow, this is so nuts. But it really is true. And they say like, you know, the really, the weirdest shit is just read the fucking news and you'll be like, Whoa, you don't even need to read anything else. It's just crazy enough. The world is crazy enough as it is. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the thing is I like, I try not to go like into the, to the darker stuff, but if it has a slant to it, that it's just like, this is weird. I think it, part of it is, it's like these things get missed because of, I think how the, uh, the news cycle works. And yeah. it's just like, yeah, we kind of left that really quickly. Can we go back to that one briefly? It's like, we, we need to, I, I, I think these days critical thinking is lost. It doesn't exist because we're yeah. uh, supposed to think about one thing for five minutes and then move to whatever the next thing is. And it causes fatigue and it causes people to have all types of just just things that it's just like, ugh. but I think sitting there and being in the process and then being able to cope, you're able to be better prepared for these other things because it always comes. It's always going to oh, come. Yeah. Um, now, so the last question that I have and um and then feel free to shamelessly plug anything that you have coming up. Plug Wet City. Plug any art stuff you got coming up. Plug your Instagram. Right. Um, oh, thanks. So let's end with a drink. This is my right. this is my unabashed like Anthony Bourdain question. You're sitting down at your fantasy at a fantasy bar. Your fantasy bar. Okay. What's what's the bar like? Describe the bar. What's in your glass and what's playing on the on the uh, on the jukebox? Do they do you still have jukebox? I don't know. My music bar. Can I just describe to you a scenario that I really enjoy happening, but it hasn't happened in a very long time at, at, a, at a bar? Spin it. Um, sitting in the Mount Royal Tavern, drinking like a beer and a shot. It could be any beer, probably something cheap. I imagine if I was sitting there drinking, <laughs> and uh, they'd be playing um, Alligator Wine because I love that song. Like, I've never heard this song. You never heard Alligator Wine? Oh, no, it's I'm, so good. I'm gonna look forward it's, to it. Uh, Alan J. Hawkins. Okay. Yeah. Alligator wine. It's fucking great, man. I love it. It just, the thing I like about that so much is that there's yeah, screaming Jay Hawkins. So screaming Jay Hawkins, alligator wine. That song is like amazing. And I remember sitting in the tavern one day and Eric, like God rest his soul. I love Eric. I mean, you know, Eric, if I said that to Eric, he'd probably be like, fuck you. Cause <laughs> yeah, he probably doesn't believe in God, but Eric passed away and I'm really sad about that. Um, but I was sitting in there and it was the first time I had heard it. I'd never heard that song before. And it came on and it was like, kind of like, that time between like uh, summer and like fall when it's a little balmy, but still kind of cool. And it was dark outside. 
yeah. beautiful. The windows were open to the tavern and that there was like not many, 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 many people in there. You know, people were just hanging. There's a couple people in there and that song came on and it just fit that mood so perfectly. And I was just like, I fell in love with that immediately. And I was like, this is, this is, this is what's up. Um, I, if I could have any drink though, in like a fantasy bar kind of situation, yeah. it would probably be like a Sazerac. I really like Sazeracs. I'm a big fan of them. They're really simple. Yeah. Um, and I think they kind of sum up a lot of what I think about maybe food and, and, and drinks is that like simplicity is sometimes the best. You just need to like good ingredients, few good ingredients you put them together whether it be food or art or whatever and you can make something really amazing you don't need too much complexity although complexity is beautiful as well and there's lots of amazing things you can do with uh with really elaborate like like cocktails um especially like tiki drinks and stuff man i love zombies but uh i i really like a good sazerac in like a dimly lit bar dark not really pretentious just like you know pretty chill kind of not a lot of people that'd be my my kind of favorite scenario i think but Definitely the tavern alligator wine, though. I don't even know if it's still in the jukebox. I think I played it so many times that eventually it started like skipping and then it wasn't working. And I asked them <laughs> to get it back on again. And they said, yeah, but I don't know if they ever wound up doing it. You know, that's that's a, that's a dope scenario. And I have had a Sazerac once and um, it was in a spinning bar in the French Quarter. So All right. That's that. And, <laughs> and, and and also my uh, favorite animal is an alligator. So I'm looking forward to listening to this alligator wine song. Uh, yeah. Should be fire. So um, social media, all of that stuff, shameless plug, and then I'll wrap up. And again, thank you for, for coming on the podcast. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. It was great to talk to you, man. Uh, hopefully I'll see you out sometime. Maybe it'll be pre-COVID and we'll actually be able to sit and chat or whatever, hang out. I don't know when I'll be bartending again soon because I'm mostly doing cooking now, but it's uh you know i had a good time thank you i was yeah, a little man. nervous at first honestly <laughs> oh no no need to be nervous i you know try to keep it chill or what have you yeah for sure well thanks a lot uh i would say i have a show up in uh washington park i think is the name of the building or is it no is it i think it's called washington it's on Pigtown. okay um montgomery park montgomery park building that's what it is the montgomery park building i got a show downstairs there uh right now with a bunch of other artists um and you know come get some food at wet city you know wet city my my instagram handle is estes.aq estes.aq if you want to check out my art or food pictures i'm I'm not accomplished at uh the food pictures but i just try to take (laughs) you know i just i feel like you know i don't want to have the lights and stuff just take the picture of the food and it'll speak for itself maybe i don't know (laughs) not the 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 pictures are enticing man You're, you're, you're it's being done well well, some of those pictures are, are being taken by PJ at Wet City, so he's really the man with the like not all of them, but some of the some of the, the really the really ones that the ones that look like they're in a magazine. Mm-hmm. PJ's taking those. In fact, the picture that you I sent you today is one of, uh, PJ took uh, of me in front of um, uh, one of my pieces of artwork at the at the uh, that was hanging up there. But <coughs> he takes those good pictures. That's a good piece too. I like that. Yeah. Oh, thanks, man. Well, thank you so much, and I hope uh, I hope I see you again sometime. You know. Yeah, you'll see me soon. Um, I'm going to wrap up and then we'll go from there. Uh, so I've um, I've just finished having uh, Adam uh, stir the roux. <laughs> <laughs> Before getting to the truth in this art, I'm Rob Lee saying that there is art in and around Baltimore. All you have to do is look for it.